0: Well in the first part of the series we focused on Joseph and we saw how Joseph points us to Jesus. Uh, He was loved and favoured by his father Uh, yet he was humiliated by his brothers but ultimately we saw that he was exalted. That's why this series is called From the Pit to the Palace and so Joseph points us to Jesus but we saw the focus of the second part of this series is on the brothers who are a lot more like us because the brothers grieved their father but they also hated their brother. They hated the son. And so in that way, the brothers are very much like us. But we've seen that by the grace of God, the brothers have undergone a radical change of heart. And we saw it all reach a climax last Sunday when Joseph finally revealed that he wasn't just the prime minister of Egypt, but he was this brother whom they'd hated and despised. And this dramatic moment where they were Reconciled. But then uh, Joseph says to his brothers Go and tell my father Jacob. Tell him that his loved and favored son is not dead, he is alive. Tell him that the son is exalted. Tell him to come near to me. I want him to be with me and to be near me and tell him that I am very rich now and that I will provide for his every need. And so we see in the second half of chapter 45 that that's exactly what the brothers do. They take one final journey from Egypt back now to their father Jacob to tell him the news. And so today we're going to be focusing on Jacob's response to this incredible news. And we're going to see three things. Firstly, we're going to see that Jacob has to go on an undesirable journey. But the next thing that we're going to see is we're going to see God provide him with an unshakable foundation so that he can have the courage to go on this undesirable journey. And then finally, we're going to see how God has prepared for Jacob an unexpected blessing for the end of his life, for the final chapter of his life. And so let's kick off in the first part of chapter 46, verse 1, where it says, Israel, that's Jacob, set out on his journey with all that he had. Now, you've got to realize at this point that Jacob is an old man. He's not a spring chicken anymore. In fact, he's 130 years old. And they didn't have cars back then. And so this was going to be a very long and arduous journey. And this was definitely not how he was planning to spend his retirement, his golden years. You see, not only had Jacob lived in Canaan for his entire life, but his father Isaac had lived in Canaan for his entire life, and his grandfather Abraham had been in Canaan for a very long time also. And so Canaan, remember, was also the promised land that has connotations of comfort and ease. This was a place that was comfortable. Canaan was familiar, and Canaan was Jacob's home. And so maybe for many of us at St Philip's who live in Cottesloe, Canaan was a bit like Cottesloe, but now God was calling Jacob to leave. We all know that change is never easy, and much more so as an old man of 130 years years old. And now Jacob has to go on a journey into the unknown, a journey into the unfamiliar and a journey into the uncomfortable. And at this stage, God has not revealed to Jacob the incredible blessing that he has in store for him when he gets there. He's got no idea. He has to step out in faith. And so we see right at the outset in verse 1 of chapter 46 how the Bible speaks directly to us in our times. When our lives take an unexpected turn and when we have to go on to a journey into the unknown. When God calls us to move on into something new and we all know that it's never easy to move away from the church that you love. Or the house that you've settled in or the job that you were good at. And then to pick up your whole family if you have a family and then to go somewhere else to find a new job and to settle the kids into a new school and to try to find a a new house and then try to settle into a new community. And so at this stage of the story, we spare a thought for the 4.1 million refugees in Ukraine who have had to flee their country and go on a very undesirable journey indeed. And that's not to mention the further 6.5 million refugees who have been internally displaced. But it's not just them, because even in our own lives, I searched on Google for some of the most stressful things that anyone can go through. And the top five on the number one hit said moving house, then divorce, the death of a loved one, a major illness or injury and losing your job. These are all things that many of us have had to face and many people in this room are facing right now. You could even say, as a community at St Phillips, that we're going on an undesirable journey from the land of having Malcolm as our senior minister to the land of having a new senior minister, and right now we're in the land of what on earth is happening with our new senior minister. And so the thing that filled his mind as he approached this undesirable journey was not a whole lot of joyful anticipation about what the future held, but no... He was filled with a great deal of anxiety and fear. We see this in verse 3 where God says to Jacob, Do not be afraid. And of course God said that because he was feeling very afraid about the future. And I don't know about you, but I've always found it to be very difficult to just not be afraid unless I have good reasons for it. And so in a few moments, we're going to look at the reasons God gives and the reason that God is able to say, do not be afraid to Jacob. But for now, I want you to notice something. I want you to notice that... What Jacob does in a time of major transition when his life is at a crossroads is very important for us to see what it is that he does when the stakes are so high. And the future is so uncertain. Look at verse 1 again. He set out on his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba, and there he made sacrifices to the Lord. Now, this location, Beersheba, must not be glossed over because it's a very important location because Beersheba was the place where God had revealed himself to his grandfather, Abraham. And Beersheba was the place where God had revealed himself to his father, Isaac. And Beersheba was the place, in fact, where God had revealed himself to Jacob many years ago. Can you remember when he was um, afraid of Esau and he wrestled with the angel all night and he saw the angels coming up and down from heaven? God had revealed himself to his grandfather, his father and to himself. And so at a time of transition, he thinks to himself, well, I desperately need to meet with God right now. So I'm going to the place where I can meet with him That's what Jacob does in a time of transition. And so what an encouragement for us. Whenever we have to go on an undesirable journey and when we don't know what the future holds and when the stakes are so high for us and for our future that we see what Jacob does, Israel, he draws near to God, he cries out to God. But even more encouraging than seeing what Jacob does is to see what God does in response in verse 2 where it says, God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, he calls him by name. I have called you by name. And so we see not only did he draw near to God in a time of transition, but that God drew near to him. It wasn't a waste of time. His prayers, his drawing near to God wasn't a waste. It wasn't time poorly spent. Far from it. And so the clear principle I want you to see in this story is made explicit for us in James chapter 4, verse 8, where it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Or in Jeremiah 29 verse 13, God says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Jacob was seeking him all the fight. He went to Beersheba. He made sacrifices to God. He was seeking the Lord with all his heart. And so if you find yourself here this morning and you're facing a big decision, you're at a fork in the road, your life is at a crossroads, you don't know which way to go and the stakes are really high, there's a promise for you. A wonderful promise. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now, you can't just sit there and go, well, I believe it. No, that that promise actually requires action, doesn't it? As it did for Jacob, he had to actually up and leave and, and go to Beersheba and make sacrifices to God. And so when God makes that promise for us, the sign that we believe it, the sign that we know that it's true is that we will also take time, even as a community, to gather together and draw near to God, knowing and believing that as we do so, he promises that he will draw near to us. And so we see Jacob as he goes on this undesirable journey and as he draws near to God, I want, to see, I want you to see the unshakable foundation that God gives to Jacob as he heads out on this journey in answer to his prayer, in answer to him drawing near because he says, do not be afraid, but then he gives him the reasons why. And the first the reason that he gives is that God always keeps his promises. Have a look at verse 3. God says, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for, very important word, these are the reasons why you are not to be afraid. Here's the foundation, unshakable. He says, for I will make of you a great nation there. Does that sound familiar? I'll make of you a great nation We looked at the story of Abraham last year and that is indeed what God had promised to Abraham so many generations and so many hundreds of years ago. Can you remember in Genesis chapter 12, he says, Go to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation. And so in the same way that God has told Abraham that he must leave the comfortable and leave the familiar and to step out in faith in order to see the promises of God fulfilled, so now we see for Jacob the same thing, that in order for him to see God's promises fulfilled, he must go, he must leave, he must step out in faith. So God has promised that he'll make a great nation. This was many years ago now. And we haven't seen much progress if you think about it in the story so far because Abraham struggled very much when he finally had one son, Isaac. That's not a great nation. And then Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau, and Esau wasn't very uh, interested in fulfilling God's promises. And and so then Jacob, uh, thankfully at least, now he's had um, 12 sons. But, you know, they weren't exactly a promising bunch. And things weren't exactly looking good for the promises of God and becoming a great nation because, first of all, we've seen that there's a famine in the land that's threatening to wipe out the people of God and the sons and their children and their grandchildren. But we've also seen that these sons were very wicked, which would be fine if God had said, I'll make of you a wicked nation. But God had said, I'll make of you a great nation. And so there are many obstacles to the fulfillment of God and the promises of God. And then you've got the one son who's different, the one son who's promising, and the one son that Jacob had hoped would fulfill this promise. And as far as he's concerned, he's dead, torn apart by a wild animal. And now he hears in the last story, he hears uh, 20 years later that this son is, Is alive, and we're seeing this transformation in these sons, but it's looking very difficult for these promises that God has made. And not only does it look difficult, but God is telling Jacob, You have to leave the place that I promised Abraham and go down to Egypt in order for my promises to be fulfilled. In other words, God is saying, Jacob, You need to trust me, you need to trust me for the future. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make you fruitful and multiply. But I'm not going to do it in Canaan, which is the promised land. I'm going to do it of all places in Egypt, which was a pagan land. That's where my promises will be fulfilled to you. It's as if God is saying, Jacob, you may feel like your life is going in the wrong direction. It may feel like your life has been turned inside out and upside down and this certainly isn't the comfortable retirement that you had planned. But I want you to know that I'm going to fulfill my promises to you in the place where you would least likely expect them to be fulfilled, in Egypt. So that's the unshakable foundation that God gives When he meets with him in Bathsheba, God always keeps his promises. But I want you to see as well that God is always with us in verse 4 because God says to him, I myself will go down with you to Egypt and I will also bring you up again. This is the presence of God. He's got the promises of God and he's got the presence of God to go with him on this difficult journey. And nothing could be more comfortable when life is being turned upside down and inside out. And I saw a wonderful testimony yesterday of exactly this from a brother in Ukraine whose life has been turned inside out and upside down. And I want to show you a video because it comes much more powerfully from his lips. It's a pastor, Sergei, who I've been praying for, and it's a testimony that God is with us. It's in English, through an accent, so you'll need to listen carefully.
1: Friends, you're asking me, Pastor Sergei, what lesson have you learned during these days of war? And I would express this only by one powerful and precious word, Emmanuel. God is with us. Jesus is Emmanuel. God is with me here and now. And this is so precious, so important, so supernaturally important for me and for millions of Christians here in Ukraine. Jesus is with me here and now and forever. And this is supernatural presence in my life here and now.
0: I think it's much more powerful coming from Pastor Sergei in Kiev uh, than maybe from the comfort of Kodosloh. But I want you to see in the story as God speaks to Jacob as his life is turned upside down that God meets with him and he gives him an unshakable foundation that I am always with you. God is with us and I always keep my promises. That's the unshakable foundation that we have and that we see testified to in that video and in that story. But It gets better because there's an unexpected blessing for Jacob as he goes on this undesirable journey at the end of his life. And I want you to see, and I'm going to show you through Jacob's story as we look back a bit, that he has allowed himself to be defined by all of his pain and all of his sorrow and his sadness and his disappointments. He's allowed himself to be defined by the difficulty that he's been through, but don't don't forget that he has actually been through a lot. He raised wicked sons who were promiscuous and violent and murderous and deceitful. He's been through a lot. He went through the tragedy of the one son who was different being torn apart by a wild animal on whom his hopes had depended. He's been through a terrible famine and now at the age of 130 years old, he has to go on this undesirable journey. So he has had a lot of pain, more so than many of us, I dare say. But he's allowed it to be the lens through which he interprets all of his life and all of his experience. He's allowed it to colour his outlook of everything and to be the lens through which he interpreted his past and his present and his future. And don't we allow our pain to define us in the same way. I want you to show this in the text because when he finds out about his son, he's understandably grieved by the loss of his son, Joseph in chapter 37, verse 35. But he doesn't get it right about the future exactly because he says, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. The rest of his life will be mourning until he joins his son in the grave. Well, that's not exactly true. Firstly, his son isn't dead, but his son is alive. And secondly, we're going to see he actually had another 17 years of joyful time with his son before he joined him in the grave. Also, though, if you remember when um, he had to send Benjamin, remember um, Joseph, who was the prime minister, said, you need to send your son Benjamin in order for me to see you again. Well, this is what he says at that point. Jacob says, if harm comes to Benjamin on the journey you are taking, you will bring my grey head down to the grave in sorrow. But harm doesn't come to him. Evil doesn't come to him. In fact, if you read through the story, far from Jacob, Benjamin just being fine, he's richly blessed. Can you remember he got five times the portion at the banquet that he had a few chapters ago? He got five times the amount of the brothers. And what you'll see as well in the text, that he got five times the amount of fancy clothes. When uh, the prime minister sent the brothers back, he got five times the amount of fancy clothes and he got five times the amount of silver in his bag, he got 300 silver coins on his way back. And so, can you see how, ben, how Jacob is being clouded and brought down by his sorrow and his suffering? And then, when he hears that he is alive in the chapter that we looked at last Sunday, verse 28 of chapter 45, he says, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So not I will go and see him and we'll have a great time and we'll enjoy another 17 years of life together, which is what happens. But no, I will go and see him. And as soon as I see him, the next thing I'm going to do is die. And so in our story today, Jacob has come home and there's this highly anticipated reunion. We've seen the beautiful reunion between the brothers in the story last Sunday, but now it's Jacob, the father who loves his son, who gave him a coat of many colours and has found out he's not dead, but he's alive. And it's been 20 years and they're going to be reunited for the first time and the music is playing and the cameras are rolling and the tears are flowing. In verse 29 of chapter 46, it said, "As soon as." soon Joseph appeared before Jacob. He threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. But I find Jacob's response somewhat anticlimactic. These are the first words that he speaks to his son, long lost son. And Israel said to Joseph, now I'm ready to die. (laughs) Since I've seen for myself that you're still alive. I'm ready to die. Now, I'm putting myself in Joseph's shoes and thinking, really, Dad? Is that all you've got to say? After 20 years of not seeing each other, how about, son, it is so good to see you. I can't believe that you're alive. Son, let's make the most of the rest of our life together. Every moment that we have together. You see, God has something much better for Jacob than dying on arrival. But Jacob can't see it because the suffering and the sadness has overwhelmed his view and his perspective. Indeed, it can happen for us. We have a cross up on stage, but it's an empty cross because our Lord is not dead. He is alive. And yes, the shape of the Christian life is going down into death. But it's to be risen with him in glory, as we see for Jacob in this story, as we've seen with Joseph in this story, and as indeed we've seen with the brothers who have been so wonderfully and beautifully transformed, though they've had to do it with a cross of suffering. And I want you to see that this is going to be the most fruitful season of Jacob's life, even though he can't see it. And the way I want to show you is because we see two testimonies that Jacob gives about his life, and they're 17 years apart. And the first one is when he arrives in this story with Jacob, and he's uh, with Joseph, and he's speaking to Pharaoh. But then we get another interpretation of his life uh, later at the end in chapter 48, verses 15 to 16. And I want you to see how different these testimonies are and how these have been a Fruitful, the most fruitful season of Jacob's life, because in chapter 47, verse 9, Jacob says to Pharaoh, Few and evil have been the years of my life. Your translation says hard, I believe, in the NRSV. And he says, They do not compare with the years of the life of my ancestors. Can you hear the disappointment? Can you hear the exhaustion? Can you hear the regret? and the lens through which he's interpreting his entire life. He's saying, you know, Pharaoh, I've had a very difficult life. And if I could think of two words to summarize my entire life, the first word I would think of would be the word few. I've only had 130 years. And the second word that I would think of to describe my life is evil. And that's how I would sum up my whole existence. He's full of disappointment and sadness and regret and sorrow. Maybe even a little bit of self-pity and self-absorption. Given the happy reunion that he's just had with his son who's not dead and is alive and has rescued him from famine and is going to take care of him and provide for him. And given the fact that what we see in the story is that God actually gives him another 17 years with Joseph, when that's exactly the amount of time that he had with Joseph at the start of his life, because Joseph was sold when he was 17 years old. And so God is going to redeem what the locusts have eaten by giving him another 17 years with his son, Joseph. But We see a second testimony at the end of those 17 years in chapter 48 verses 15 and 16 where his sons and grandsons come before him, sorry, his sons, and he blesses them in chapters 48 verse 15 and hear the difference in his testimony after this unexpected blessing. He says, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd, All my life, to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm. The angel who has delivered me, in the Hebrew, from all evil. This is the same word that he used to describe his life of when he met Pharaoh. Few and evil have been my days, and 17 years later, the Lord is my shepherd who delivers me from all evil. And if you ask me, it sounds a lot like the famous words in the chapter 50 of Genesis when Joseph says to his brothers, What you meant for evil, God meant for good. The Lord is my shepherd who redeems my life from all evil. Can you see the redemption and the renewal and the hope and the restoration and the change from my days were few and evil to saying, the Lord is my shepherd who redeems my life from all evil. And so this is a wonderful story of redemption and it's perhaps a challenge to our pessimism. It's perhaps a challenge to those of us who have been overwhelmed by sorrow, which is real, there is evil. And yet God is a God of resurrection who redeems our life from all evil. And so as we wrap up this morning, I want us to use our imagination. I want us to look at how Joseph points us to the Lord Jesus. We've seen very much how he does that. We've seen how he was loved and favoured. He was humiliated and exalted. He was the saviour, remember, who feeds his brothers so that they will not die in a time of famine. He's the Lord who's been exalted to the highest place. And so we're going to call Joseph the saviour. And I want you to see as this as we close and as we look at this story, how Joseph's great love and care for his father, Jacob, who's been wounded and sorrow and in a miserable state, and that provides a window for us in the, to the care of the Lord Jesus for us when we come to him. And so we're going to call Joseph the saviour because that's what he is. So you use your imagination and put yourself in Joseph, Jacob's shoes and the saviour says to you, come to me. I want you to be near to me. I'm not dead. I'm alive. I've been made very rich. And I will provide for you if you come to me. But when you hear those words, your heart is numb. And you're not sure that you can believe it because of all the grief and the sorrow. You're not sure that you can believe that he's alive and that he's been exalted and that he's speaking directly to you and that he will provide for you and be your shepherd. But when you see the wagons that he sent overflowing with provisions, you agree to take the journey from comfort into his arms. But when you arrived at the Saviour, you find that you're in a miserable condition because of all that you've been through. But the Saviour runs out to welcome you and he throws his arms around you and he rejoices over you and he weeps over you. And because he is very, very rich, he provides very richly for you. But you come full of regret, opportunities wasted, wasted. You look back on your days and you say to him, few and evil have been the days of my life. I've wasted them and I can't get them back. But living close to the Saviour changes you. And over time, you change and you get a new perspective. And you're able to look back on your life with, with all of its real sadness, its real sorrow and its real suffering. Yet you begin to see God's light shining on it, and you see God's redemptive purposes playing throughout it, and so you're finally able to say, with Jacob, The Lord is my shepherd, the God who redeems all of my life from evil. You able to say that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you do call us to yourself and that when we come to you in faith, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ because you are not dead, but you are alive and you have been exalted and you are very rich and you promise to provide for us in Christ. And so we pray if we're going through an undesirable journey where all we can see is the suffering and the sadness, Father, that you would help us like Jacob to draw near to you in that time of transition, that time of difficulty. Draw near to you for redemption and for hope and for restoration because you are not dead, but you are alive, Father. And help us to believe that when we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. In Jesus' name, amen.